Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey everybody, David Brody here. Welcome to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Very narcissistic title. I think you'll get used to it. I sure will because, hey, I'm narcissistic. You know, I, I kind of feel that my, I don't have a podcast voice. You know, I, you know, I feel a little bit too, I don't call it nasal, but it, a little too upbeat for the podcast. I kind of, kind of, I need to do a little NPR, you know, something like, David Brody here. Welcome to the Pod's Honest Truth. You know, something along those lines. So that, that's how it feels. But I have to be myself. So, you know, this is this is it. This is me. Um, all right. So, you, you know, my new podcast explores the intersection of culture and religion. Today, I want to talk about Bernie Sanders. Now, not really about his religious beliefs. Uh, not much there. Jewish. We can get into that. Some other podcast. We don't talk about that. But really what he represents to the highly uh, desirable, but also hard to capture youth vote. Because if you stop and think about it, I mean, look, 10 years ago, could we have ever imagined a viable presidential candidate with such strong socialist views? But here we are, Bernie Sanders, feel the burn. And why is that exactly? Well, look, it's, it's really due almost entirely to the changing shape of the nation's religious landscape. So I'm going to get into that. We're going to have some facts and figures, just the news. Remember, we're not giving you a spin. We're going to tell you what the deal is, and then you can come to your own conclusion. And we're going to do that after we give you some facts. We're going to talk with Charlie Kirk. You know, Charlie, founder of the conservative student group Turning Point USA. I spoke to him uh, a little while ago, and uh, it's actually pretty fascinating about atheism and socialism and evangelicals and millennials. Great stuff. First, though, want to remind you, uh, the Pod's Honest Truth, we're part of a new and exciting endeavor at uh, Just the News. And if you haven't heard of Just the News, you will. Don't worry. It's a new digital news site dedicated to giving you the facts, not spin. It's not about spin, folks. Uh, I know there's already a lot of people have already uh, heard about us. And now I have some good news. We're going to launch the website this month. That's right. February. We're going to launch it this month. Cue the sound effect. Cue the exciting jingle or the crowd applause if we have that. If not, uh, you know, we'll just just insert it somewhere in your mind. Uh, so you can already hear John Solomon on his new podcast. It's called John Solomon Reports. Uh, that's fantastic. Also, Cheryl Atkinson. I like to call her Cheryl, like Oprah. She only has one name, but well, she has two. It's Cheryl Atkinson. She's launching her new podcast next week. So be sure to keep checking it out at justthenews.com. And while you're there, go ahead and please subscribe now so you can get the news, investigative reports, a whole lot more on the site when Just the News launches. Lots going on. You know, it's justthenews.com. And remember to subscribe to the Pod's Honest Truth. You can find me on iTunes, Stitcher, Taco Bell. Well, I'm sorry, that's that's the drive-thru I go through. Uh, iHeartRadio, anywhere you get your podcast. Click 
the subscribe button, and don't forget to rate me, leave a review. All right, hang on for a moment. We're going to do a commercial break. When we come back, I want to get into more of the numbers about younger voters, evangelicals, their religious beliefs, and all of their feelings about socialism. You're going to be a bit surprised. We're back in a moment on the Pod's Honest Truth. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says, Criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity, gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need Home Title Lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. All right, everybody, we're back. The pod's honest truth. Uh, we're going to dig in now on socialism, Bernie Sanders, and the rise specifically of socialism among millennials. And yes, cue the dreaded music, evangelicals, young evangelicals, those millennials, those Gen Zers and millennials both. All right, let's dig in. So, you know, a decade ago, obviously, the idea of a socialist president, we talked about this, was really unthinkable. But here's Bernie's climbing in the polls. He had a very strong performance in Iowa, did very, very well there. In New Hampshire, uh, he's leading there. There's one poll specifically, and it's a reputable poll as well, showing him leading by 15 points. Uh, and Buttigieg will have something to say about that. But the point is, is that there's Bernie, one, two in Iowa, Probably going to be one, two in New Hampshire. And oh, by the way, then comes Nevada and the socialist Sanders uh, doing very, very well out there. He's leading everyone. So, uh, you know, he's getting a lot of millennial love. That's how he's doing it. He's, in, in essence, appealing to younger folks. And it really is almost entirely due to the changing shape of the nation's religious landscape. And, and that benefits Bernie. So let's look at some numbers. These are according to Pew. What we know for sure is that America is becoming a less religious uh, nation. Christianity on the decline. Listen to some of these numbers. This is from Pew. They're reputable. No one can argue with these facts. 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians when asked about their religion. Okay, you say, hmm, interesting. Ready? Down. That number is down 12% percentage points over the past decade. So less people identifying as Christians. Meanwhile, the religiously unaffiliated share of the population, for example, if you're atheist, agnostic, or just nothing in particular, uh, animal, vegetable, mineral, all that, that stands at 26%. That's actually up from 17% about 10 years ago. So we're becoming uh, less Christian, uh, less religious for sure as a nation. And also remember those religious unaffiliated Democrats are leaning more uh, towards Bernie Sanders. So you put it all together and, and Bernie is tapping into a changing uh, religious landscape, a changing electorate. Uh, and look, for example, look at the Gen Zs, okay? You know, those Gen Zs are not millennials, right? The ones uh, even younger than that. At 61%, are you listening? 61% of Americans between the age of 18 and 24, these are the Gen, G, Gen Zs, maybe some uh, millennials in there as well, but 61% of these folks have a positive reaction to the world's word socialism. That's a YouGov poll 
61% have a positive reaction to socialism. Guess what? That beats out capitalism at 58%. So, I mean, this is what we're dealing with specifically. And even going beyond those numbers, uh, look, at, look at this. When it comes to the generation, uh, you know, the Gen Z and the millennials, when asked these questions, here's the question. Should the government provide universal health care? Guess what? Millennials and Gen Zs, 73% say yes. Should the government provide tuition-free college? 67% say yes. And listen to this. According to millennials and Gen Zs, almost 50%, 49% prefer living in a socialist country. I kid you not. So look, I mean, uh, this, this ain't your daddy's uh, poll numbers here. You know what I'm saying? This isn't your father's poll numbers for sure because, or your grandfather, whatever that term is. The point is things are changing and specifically they are changing among evangelicals. And this is really a concern, uh, obviously among uh, the church and it really goes just beyond that to just some societal issues as well. Because if you look at evangelical Protestants, okay, these are younger millennial evangelical Protestants. We're not talking about the 55 and over white crowd. We're talking about evangelical Protestants who are millennial. 40%, only 40% identify as conservative. But uh, among those evangelical millennials, 37% identify as moderate, 17% identify as liberal. So if you add the moderate and liberal uh, numbers together, you get 54% are either moderate or liberal compared to only 40% conservative. Uh, that is a different evangelical landscape uh, than the 55 and over crowd. And then how about the size of government? How do they feel? How do these millennials feel, these evangelical millennials feel about the size of government? Well, 54% want a smaller government, but 42% of evangelical millennials want to see bigger government, more services. So with that, that backdrop, it's all really interesting because Charlie Kirk is going to come along in our next segment and talk about the appeal of Bernie, the rise of socialism, and what all of this means for our society. We're back in a moment with Charlie Kirk from Turning Point USA. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity, gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need Home Title Lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. And we are back on the pod's honest truth. All right, time for the big enchilada. I don't know if Charlie Kirk wants to be called an enchilada, but I kind of just did. Hopefully he uh, doesn't hear this. No, hopefully he does, and hopefully he spreads the word as well. Uh, so I did this interview with Charlie Kirk uh, about a month and a half, two months ago or so. Uh, many thanks, by the way, uh, to CBN for the interview. Uh, I did it here at the CBN studios. And it was a really fascinating conversation. Remember, uh, Charlie Kirk is founder of the faith-based youth group Turning Point USA. I call it 
faith-based. Well, you know, he probably wouldn't necessarily call it faith-based, but it is uh, a youth group, Turning Point USA. Uh, but when the the faith part of it is very interesting here, because Charlie Kirk is a believer, he's a he's a evangelical, if you will. It doesn't really wear his faith on his sleeve, and we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about his role in the Falkirk Center. You may have heard about this, Falkirk. Ready? Uh, not Dunkirk, uh, but Fall, as in Jerry Falwell Jr. Kirk, as in Charlie Kirk. Both Jerry Falwell Jr. and Charlie Kirk have teamed up at Liberty University for, in essence, what they call the Falkirk Center, which is to promote Judeo-Christian values and really kind of engage in the culture and kind of win those evangelicals and really others uh, back to the Judeo-Christian uh, viewpoint and explain to them the real deal, the real truth. So we start a little bit with that. You'll hear him talk about the Falkirk Center. Uh, but I want you to listen to this interview with Charlie Kirk. Here we go. All right, joining us now, Charlie Kirk. Charlie, great to see you, sir. Yeah, thanks so much. Glad All to be here. Right. Thank you. Uh, Turning Point USA, let's start with that. Sure. Obviously, huge deal, uh, you, what you have done with that group, uh, with that organization, if you will. Talk to me about that, Students for Trump, everything going on sure. in that 20- Sure, Kirk, all of it, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. All right, I'm going to give you 25 minutes. No, Go, okay. Charlie. No. No. What's going on? Well, look, we're, we're keeping busy. Uh, last mm -hmm. night, I was at Brown University, and things and got a little survived. bit- And you survived. Yeah, I lived to tell about it, and what a hopeless place that is, but- I was able to talk to a lot of, a lot of, let's say, atheists and leftists and secular leftists, but I repeat myself when I say that. Anyway, uh, running Turning Point USA, for those viewers that don't know, we're the nation's largest uh, conservative student organization present now on 1,500 high school and college campuses across the country. We'll have thousands and thousands of students next week. Uh, at our, our Student Action Summit uh, in Palm Beach, mm -hmm. uh, which will have some of the biggest speakers in the whole movement. Uh, through our 501c4, we're running Students for Trump. Mm. Super thrilled about that, and uh, that'll be the largest campus effort ever to get a president reelected, essentially, and then also have an effort that I'm kind of co-chairing with the great Jerry Falwell Jr. at mm -hmm. uh, Liberty University called the Falkirk Center for Faith and Liberty, uh, kind of the pushback against this rising I just say, just this rising movement, I hate using that word, yeah, uh, within Christianity that goes to show that young, young Christians are gravitating towards Marxist ideals and not understanding the inseparable link between American first principles and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So I'm keeping busy. And I have, I have a podcast, The Charlie Kirk Show. All your viewers can go and download that. We are currently beating two of the New York Times podcast and Rachel Maddow's podcast. So oh, you're loving well. life, aren't yeah. you? Uh, Judeo-Christian values, the Falkirk Center, yes. clearly under attack. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk to me about uh, the, the haywire that we see in today's society when it comes to the, those deteriorating values. Yeah, they are deteriorating. I mean, look, the fastest growing religion in America is atheism. Mm. And I, tell, I challenge Christians to be as bold and evangelistic and persuasive as atheists are. And, and sometimes Christians don't. And so there's two ways that you can... This is way oversimplified, but basically two ways I see Christians dealing in this atheist world. One, there's a philosophy that we should be 100% correct theologically, but go create our own communities and never talk to anyone externally, mm -hmm. basically becoming pseudo-monks in the hills. Or the other, which is what I like to embrace and what Jerry Falwell believes at Liberty, is go forth into the world, understand you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be called names, you're going to lose friends, especially getting involved in civic engagement and political engagement, mm -hmm. but understanding the fulfillment of the gospel of Jesus Christ as being the salt and light that he calls us to be. And look, I mean, our values are under assault every single day, under a secular, atheist, leftist, Marxist um, movement within our government, within our culture, within higher education. And our failure to recognize that and do something about it might be the end of America. 
And that's what we're trying to do at Falkirk. That's what I'm trying to do personally. And through a secular way, we're doing it at Turning Point USA, mm -hmm. uh, being a secular organization, but run by a Christian, run by a lot of different Christians. And, and you even say about atheism, you don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Without God, there would be no Christian. Without God, there would be no atheists. Without God, there would be no Christians. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a reason why atheism is growing. Uh, number one, I think it's a failure of the church. I think mm -hmm. the church has not been bold enough. Number two, I think it's a byproduct of government getting so big, replacing the church. You know, there's a lot of these discussions. Oh, we need Medicare for all. We need all these things. Well, where has the church been to provide basic health care services? The church is failing mm -hmm. in its correct role of being the social safety net in America. And we've kind of just forfeited that ground. We've surrendered that terrain, if you will, to big government programs mm -hmm. and status programs. And traditionally, the church was always this first social safety net. And so when people don't turn to the church for that, all of a sudden they turn to some government check, then you lose that kind of relationship with a pastor mm -hmm. or with a priest or even a synagogue in a local area. And right? government becomes God. That's right. And so right. you see that in the European countries. That's some abstract, you know, uh, kind of abstract concept that I'm painting. That, oh, this might happen. We've seen it in Europe. As government grows, the citizen's influence gets smaller. The bigger the government, the smaller the citizen, mm -hmm. especially the smaller the church. And so I think that's a huge failure, but also... And you, you just pointed this out brilliantly. There is an inextricable link between big government mm -hmm. and atheism. They need each other mm -hmm. because human beings yearning for a higher power does not disappear just if you get them to stop believing in a higher power. That higher power can, can and will be replaced with a big government, mm -hmm. with a centralized institution that is oppressive, that is bureaucratic, and is against our Judeo-Christian values. By the way, the rise of socialism, a huge deal. By the way, have you heard Jesus is a socialist? I don't know if you heard that. No, that's nonsense. I hear oh, this all bad. the time. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. I'm I, I saw that. I saw I'm, that. I'm happy to debunk that, too. But well, that's why, why, don't you, why don't you do so? Because the, the, well, there's, the there's that, a younger generation well, that's right. believing I mean, Well, the stuff. fact that Jesus was anything except the savior of the world is preposterous to me. That somehow he was something of a, a, of a working class philosophy in the mid-1800s. Somehow that's what he was <laughs> when 1,800 years earlier he was dying for our sins and being... You know, a lot bigger than just some sort of political philosopher. Time and time again, a couple points. Time and yeah. time again, Jesus Christ was given the opportunity to get engaged in government. He was a much higher caller than, calling than that. Think about it. He's one of the only people ever in documented history mm -hmm. to have such a widespread impact outside of political government influence. So even if you look at Napoleon, look at Muhammad, Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, they worked through the instruments of government. Jesus was like, that's not, not why I'm here. Right. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but I'm above all of it. Give unto God what is God's. God's dominion is what we're all under. Mm -hmm. And so, but he didn't argue for any sort of specific governmental structure intentionally. Number two, everything he called as far as helping the poor, the Matthew 5, essentially, the yeah. Sermon on the Mount, yeah. the charge for us Christians, it starts and ends with the individual calling, not the collective calling. Mm -hmm. It's super important that you can't abdicate your own responsibility to somebody else, to some other authority except yourself. Hmm. You yourself give up your cloak and your tunic. You yourself turn the other cheek. Now that's hard because you want to give up that kind of, oh no, no, it's somebody else's responsibility. No, no, no. You go help the poor individual that needs to be clothed, that needs to be fed, that needs to be taken care of. Mm -hmm. That's a call of individual that, of individual um, of responsibility. The third thing is this, the parable of the talents. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different ways to interpret it, but essentially it's a parable and a calling and it's some of Jesus' harshest teachings. If you look at the end of that parable, mm -hmm. Jesus basically says the failure to recognize this, you will have the gnashing of teeth and you will burn in eternity. And the parable basically is a challenge of multiplication. 
And it's a challenge that God has given you gifts and you must try to thrive at the highest level possible and be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ and a participant in his kingdom in a way that will make you, whether you're good at piano, you're good at television, be at the highest calling. Now, what kind of system would allow you to thrive and to flourish? Definitely not Marxism and socialism. Mm -hmm. You think Christians are flourishing in Venezuela? When you can't eat, can you flourish? When you're under oppression, can you flourish? So this is nonsense. I'm happy to go on for another 30 <laughs> data points, but those are those are three easy ones for some of your listeners to hopefully uh, take away. Your faith journey a little bit. You're a Bible-believing Christian. Yes, sir. You don't lead with it. I mean, that's not, but but it's a part of who you are. And I'm, un, I'm unafraid to talk about Absol- it. Well, as we just found out here. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that faith journey. And also, I, I know you've been very outspoken about the legality and the sanctimoniousness, if yes. you will, of the evangelicals and what they may, that crowd, if you will, kind of what they've done wrong of how to f- kind of fight and engage totally. in that culture. But first, tell, tell, tell yeah. me about so there's substance and style. Yeah. And so when I was a junior in high school, one of my um, AP literature teachers said, Charlie, you might be always right on substance. If you're wrong on style, you might lose a lot of different people. And I think that's really true. Mm. And so I found growing up, a lot of people were steered away from Christianity and steered away from the views of biblical marriage and the, the, the view of, uh, you know, of life, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm a, very, I'm a pro-life activist believing you know, in, in the, the, the dignity of human life through and through, but I found a lot of people were turned off because they felt as if Christians were far too much in the camp of legalism and not into the camp of, this is what I believe firmly, but I'm going to greet you with love and compassion and long-suffering. I will not waver on my belief of biblical marriage, on life, on standards, and a biblical worldview, but I'm going to try to be as Christ-like as I possibly can. Mm. And that, that's hard. It's a very hard thing to do, to be unapologetic in why I believe what I believe, but also come with a smile and go and greet people with the love and compassion that we have born under Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I have found, and I don't try to paint with too broad of a brush, but the fire and brimstone type uh, style that some Christians, not all, but some Christians in the evangelical movement brought you know, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, mm-hmm. turned a lot of people off. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, I went to Brown University recently, mm-hmm. a place that is filled with atheism, secularism, leftism, Marxism, all this stuff. And I said, your rights come from God, not government. The place erupted in laughter, not in boo. Laughter. So I just keep a smile, cheerful face. And I'm not going to say, hey, you're all going to hell because of this. That's you might believe that, you know, that might be in your interpretation of theology. Counterproductive, counterproductive. Completely counterproductive. Right. How are we going to shepherd those atheists at Brown right now mm-hmm. that are being taught a miserable worldview to become saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. Are we more likely to condemn them or to love on them? Mm-hmm. But still not, but, but here's the one thing I will say, mm-hmm. never allow the love and compassion you have for other people to be an excuse to water down your theology. Mm-hmm. And right, that's the other thing. And I find huge disagreement with the Episcopalian church, some sects of the Presbyterian church that say, well, we must love all people, therefore we must compromise on what the Bible tells us to do. No, 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 no. You can have biblical theological standards while also you know, hopefully expressing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What was that faith journey for you like growing up? What did you kind of, were you a church going type guy or? Was yeah, I mean, gr- growing generic? up, I, I grew up in the Presbyterian Church. I get them <laughs> confused. There's the FPC, FPC and FPC, FPC USA. I grew up in the liberal one, okay? Yeah, they've got themselves confused a little bit too. Anyway, so FYI. I'm, I'm confused, they're confused, That's we're all confused. Fine. I grew up in the liberal one, okay? Yeah, okay. A loving church. However, when I was 12 or 13 years old, my parents made the decision as I and many others started to realize it became much more about political doctrine and social relativism and theology second. My parents took me out of that church. It was a great decision. Mm-hmm. I went to a Christian school, third, fourth, and fifth grade, mm-hmm. gave a great um, foundation for my worldview, and went to church throughout high school. But really, after high school, I started Turning Point, and I started to experience real adversity. I started to come in a much closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. and 
reading my Bible more and becoming more um, essentially unapologetic about, about my Christianity because I was given a choice. I could try to descend more into this kind of secular world or reaffirm my faith, and you know that's exactly what I did. Um, yeah. And it's hard. It's hard to be a Christian, but it's hard to be anything, right? Um, it's hard to live in this world, but it, should, it gives me comfort. It should give everyone comfort that there is an omniscient, omnipotent, loving God that has given us a singular path and a journey to salvation. And it's a peace that anyone listening to this and watching this can accept at any period of time. Mm -hmm. Every other religion in the history of the world is about you trying to get closer to God. Christianity is about God who got closer to us. Mm -hmm. It should give people a lot of comfort and reconciliation for any sort of struggle you might have that there is that kind of offering, that there's that kind of gift given from God, especially in this Christmas season. Very nice. From religion to politics. Sure. All right, politics. Look, uh, how does it feel to be the uh, basically hated every day by the liberals? Great. <laughs> I mean, I have comfort in what, why I believe what I believe. I, I get protested from Berkeley, Stanford, UCLA, UT Austin, University of Florida. Um, I, I just, the, the hate, I mean, I know this sounds silly. It just doesn't bother me. Uh, I know why I believe what I believe. I embrace any sort of backlash. I love discussion. And look, under the most harsh fires is where the most amazing iron can be, can be cast. And mm -hmm. I find that to be definitely the case. The more I travel, the more kind of protests I get, the more people I talk to, the more I understand why I believe what I believe. Mm -hmm. Because it's under unbelievable fire. And mind you, the leftists on campus, they don't have that similar, similar sort of cross-examination. Mm -hmm. So I'm asked every single day, Charlie, how can you believe this? How can you believe this? How can you believe this? After a couple days, you're going to find out if you actually believe it. Be ready with an answer and a well-thought-out answer. Precisely. Right. Yeah. And right. after seven and a half years of doing this and having to talk literally thousands of hours a year, I mean, that's basically what it is. I talk all the time. I do two hours of a podcast, radio, TV talking, lecturing, you're going to find out really quick what you believe and why you believe it. And sometimes you're like, oh, wow, I have, I used to believe this a couple years ago, and now I believe this. Mm -hmm. And that's an okay thing for someone to go through, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I think that we have to understand, though, that the hatred that we receive as Christians, it's biblical, it's prophesized, hmm. and you shouldn't try to make excuses for it. No matter what, we're going to be persecuted. Right. Uh, Donald Trump, 2020, re-election chances. It's my analysis to say that Democrats have way overplayed their hand on impeachment. They don't have a good candidate. This could be potentially an electoral landslide. Your potentially. View. I mean, look, you and I were talking off camera on this. Yeah. I, don't, I think long gone are the days of Ronald Reagan-style or Nixon-style 1972 or 1984-style yeah, landslides. Gone. But I think in this, the modern-day sense of what a landslide would be, I think President Trump could win Minnesota. Mm -hmm. I think he could win Nevada. Um, and if the polling is true of his support in the black community, he could, wear, he could win states that we could never imagine winning. Underreported story, the black community. And Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, 34%. You have four polls that show that Donald Trump's approval rating in the black community is 34%. Pretty consistent. If yeah. that's true, if that is true, he could win states like Illinois. I'm not even kidding. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Because you look at suburban and rural voters, they're going to generally vote for him. Suburban, we're not you know, totally sure where that's going to land, but generally mm -hmm. they vote more Republican. Mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty extraordinary. And so, look, the president has done an unbelievable job for our country, and by all measures, he should have an 84-style landslide. Mm -hmm. The economy, foreign policy, strength of the country, revitalization of the American dream. All right. Uh, your book. And yes. we'll hold this part, don't worry, for later, but let's talk okay. about it. Uh, so we'll edit this out. The, correct. We're going to take you out of context, too. No, we won't. Uh, the MAGA doctrine. Yes. Okay. Uh, look, specifically, you talk about these conservative principles and kind of defining the MAGA doctrine before others define it. And yes. that's very, very important. Explain a little bit about the, the reason for the book and kind of like the sure. purpose behind so it. So the, the reason I wrote this book, I'm a huge fan of President Trump. Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard. I, I've campaigned for it. I've gotten booed for it. I've gotten protested for it. I've gotten. I've lost friends over it. Uh, There's a cost to all this. 
And the thing that irritates me the most, and the criticism that I receive that I can't stand, is that somehow President Trump is operating without some sort of deeper philosophy. Mm -hmm. That it's just some sort of erratic presidency and there's no sort of philosophical or ideological backing for what he's doing. This couldn't be further from the truth. And so what I make the case for in this book is that these are timeless ideas. The sovereignty of a nation, the revitalization of greatness, the protection of borders, the understanding of the middle class. These ideas go back to Cicero and Aristotle, the debates between Plato and Aristotle. Mm -hmm. Understanding the Enlightenment and where all these ideas came from, and then defending them throughout what I call the MAGA doctrine. And so in the 1820s, there was the Monroe Doctrine mm -hmm. that totally changed American foreign policy. Some would argue for the better coming up to the 1900s. I argue that the MAGA doctrine, both internationally and domestically, is one that will be referred to with such impact that the only way we could describe it is similar to what King Justinian did in the Eastern Roman Empire with the Justinian Code. Mm. And by the way, he's very similar to President Trump because he did something that no one thought possible. He revitalized an empire that was in decline. Mm -hmm. And only a couple and a handful of people have ever done this before. Queen Elizabeth, Abraham Lincoln, Ronald Reagan have ever revitalized something that was people thought was inevitable to go down. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as if that was the that was the subtext of the Obama presidency. The ship is going down, we have to manage this decline and ease our way back into the global community. It doesn't matter if the evil Iranians are getting hundreds of billions of dollars in sanction relief. It doesn't matter if China is going to continue to get more powerful. Be quiet, America. Get used to your new seat at the table as a mediocre nation. Hmm. President Trump, and I talk about this in the MAGA doctrine, is the, is, the, is the pursuit of excellence, that we can be great again, mm -hmm. and we should be unapologetic for it, and that we're going to get back to that level. The MAGA doctrine, according to liberal critics, you've heard the criticism, oh, it's the evils of, of white nationalism, uh, and they, they love to invoke white supremacy and all that. Take us back to the 1950s. That, you, you dispel all of that. I, I absolutely dispel it. It's nonsense. So first of all, you have to understand where the parties came from. Mm -hmm. He's a Republican, which is the party of civil rights, the party of women's right. suffrage, and the party of, of essentially anti-slavery party dating back to the 1850s. So just start with that. Second of all, you can, you can believe in a restoration of greatness of certain things without having to lump in the hateful things that might have been happening simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So point. for, I mean, and that, this is such a sloppy, lazy argument by the American left. So for example, I say, I dream of a day where the American family can be as intact as it was in the 1960s. And then their criticism is, oh, Charlie, that means you're arguing for the horrible policies. That's, not, that's what I'm saying. Right. Completely, totally distant, universally distinct arguments mm -hmm. that, hold on, we were a better, stronger country when fathers were still in the home in the black community, not when you have a 74% fatherlessness rate in the black community. And President Trump has been the president, signed criminal justice reform, mm -hmm. that deported an actual Nazi, that signed an executive order condemning anti-Semitism and saying he has a no-tolerance policy under Title VI against it, that has moved the embassy to Jerusalem, recognized the Golan Heights, defunded the Palestinian Authority, has pushed back against these white supremacist groups and designated them as domestic terrorists. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a baseless, nonsensical argument. And I have been to the MAGA rallies, I have traveled the country to all 50 states and met Trump supporters, and I can understand, even in confidence, when they confide in me, they're the most accepting people that you could possibly imagine, not what the left tries to paint this ridiculous caricature mm -hmm. of Trump supporters as, not to mention lowest ever black unemployment, lowest ever Latino unemployment, lowest black poverty rate, and of course the opportunity zones that are revitalizing our inner cities. You mentioned the deep state. You talk about the New York Times. You talk about them as institutions, obviously. Yes. I want to I read this. And you say they're in trouble, that they're not prepared for the future. That's correct. Talk to me about that. Well, look, the, the New York Times, and I mean, I, 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 have some, I know some people that work there, but generally mm -hmm. these media institutions 
are programmed in what I call destination journalism, mm. where they start with the headline, and then they go and find sources that corroborate their headline. Mm -hmm. So basically, they're going to start tomorrow or the next day or in the next week, Trump is a bad president in the headline. Let's go find five five, four professors that are going to agree with us. Mm -hmm. That's not journalism. Mm -hmm. That's a mishmash and a hodgepodge of just putting things and mixing it together and hoping it works out for you. And, and the danger in that, and where we all have to be very, very careful with that, is that journalism is always supposed to be an exploratory science or an exploratory discipline, I should say, mm -hmm. where you're looking for the facts and wherever it may lead you with two sources and three corroborated factual sets, that's what you're going to report on. Journalism is no longer that way. These are activists. Mm -hmm. That's not going to be sustainable. Eventually, they're going to corner themselves into a very, very fringe activist position that will be rejected by the American people. You're already starting to see it now. Let me ask you one last question sure. before we get you out of here. Uh, the younger generation, it's near and dear. Obviously, your heart, it's what you started with Turning Point USA. Uh, millennials, the Gen Zs, don't get me started on the Gen I got a Gen Z child, by the sure. way. Anyhow, love her. Uh, but the point is, is that um, wh where are we, where is the hope for the future here with these folks? Because there's a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, how do I say this, just uh, they don't understand history. No. Uh, they, they, they don't, there's so much misinformation out there, uh, laziness out there. Where's the hope? What, what's, what's, where are we going next in the next 10, 20, 30 well, years? And so I want to, you know, this is part of what we're doing at the Falkirk yeah. Center with Jerry Falwell at Liberty University and Jerry Falwell Jr., who's a great friend and understands this threat. So let's talk specifically with young Christians. Right. So. Oh, that's good Because you know, this is... Segmented out there in terms of like what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. young Christians are being taught what you mentioned earlier, that Jesus was a socialist. Mm -hmm. They're not taught, being taught true appreciation for America's role in the entire Christian journey, which I think is a very unique, that's a longer segment and a longer piece of discussion. Mm -hmm. But America has played a beneficial and critical role in spreading the gospel in ways that never could have been imagined before America. It's just interesting to think about. Mm -hmm. And But more than that, and what I think to find so concerning, what, we, what we're talking about at the Falkirk Center and Turning Point USA, is are you thankful or are you angry that you live in America? Mm. When you don't have gratitude for something, you're not going to defend that something. Mm. Grateful people are nicer, kinder, more gentle, and more defensive of what is right. Ungrateful people are the opposite. Gratitude <laughs> is the fruit of which makes all foods after it taste sweet. And so if you do not have that, if you do not have gratitude, kissing the ground saying this country is a beautiful place, this country is the most benevolent, accepting, creative, entrepreneurial, charitable country ever to exist in the history of the world. And if you don't come from that sort of just basic acceptance of facts, then why not try to try something new? Yeah, socialism's fine. Tear it all down. And especially when you have the rise of atheism. And I always joke around when people say, oh, well, I'm, I, I'm thankful for a couple things. If you're an atheist, who are you thankful to? Right. Like, I mean, right. you're thankful to yourself? That's an awfully narcissistic way to live your life. Mm -hmm. And if a failure to recognize natural rights, well, where do those natural rights come from? Mm -hmm. well, they come from God, of course, not from government, not from your bureaucracy, not from your parents. Mm -hmm. Your existence was granted to you by a creator. And the tradition of Locke versus Rousseau, which is a bunch of Marxist, secularist, atheist garbage that has screwed up Europe so terribly, and, Mar and Rousseau inspired Marx, but a tradition of Locke and Smith to Paine, to Jefferson, all throughout the foundation of our, of our country, this is what has created our prosperity. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid right now it's coming to a culture war the likes of which we've never seen before. And we as Christians have to rise up, we as freedom believers have to rise up, 
and I'm, uh, I'm just trying to do my part. God-given rights, though, not taught in the history books. Not at all. In public schools. That's right. Really in a lot of different places. Charlie, thanks. Thanks sir. so much. That was Appreciate great. it. All yeah. right, all the best. That's Charlie Kirk here on the Pod's Honest Truth. Uh, real great insight from Charlie. You know, we touched on this idea that people will choose typically something as their savior, God, government, but something is going to be their savior. And, and, and I think that this is exactly what's playing out. There are evangelicals that say, you know what, I'm going to put my trust in God. And then there's other folks who may not believe in God or don't really have a desire to, to, to know anything about God that say, you know, I'm going to put my trust in government instead. So I think that's a real important point uh, that we discussed and something to think about. Uh, and then, of course, come to your own conclusion on it. But look, I think overall, what, what younger evangelicals are kind of buying into right here is uh, the Bible clearly tells them, all of us, to care for the poor. Uh, this just in. No fact check needed. 100%. We need to care for the poor. That's the compassion that the Bible talks about. Uh, and, you know, socialism... Uh, plays into that idea about caring for the poor, unlike what many folks call greedy capitalism. And I think that also sucks evangelical millennials in as well. And so therefore, they would potentially gravitate to socialism. I think part of the issue here is that many of those evangelicals that are younger uh, either don't go to church as much, uh, maybe don't have an errant view of uh, scripture. And so there are some issues that have to be kind of worked out in the church. And that's a whole nother podcast. But, but I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing a lot of these evangelicals kind of buy into the social justice gospel, the compassionate part of the gospel. And by the way, like I said, uh, compassion is a huge part of the Bible, but it's not the only part of the Bible. And the gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, not, it's not the social justice gospel. In other words, we're not worshiping social justice. We're worshiping Jesus Christ as Christians. And I think that's really important to understand. Also, uh, a big part of the Bible has to do with law and order, uh, that there are moral absolutes in life and there are rules and regulations. So there's, so there's kind of like that. And then there's compassion. And then you, you try to have both of them, not either or, but clearly evangelical millennials seem to be buying into a little bit more of that social justice, compassion, um, socialism, ultimately, uh, as it continues to grow. So uh, we'll keep an eye out for it and we'll keep uh, we'll give you updates as, as we see uh, whether trick, trickle up, trickle down, but we'll we'll bring it to you. All right. So imagine this Valentine's Day story is you. Here it is. You're, you're parked outside the restaurant. You're meeting your date in 10 minutes. And glancing in the mirror, you notice your wrinkles and your large under-eye bags. So you rummage through your bag. You're thinking, where's your secret weapon? And there it is, Plexiderm. You apply this clear serum under your eyes and boom. Two minutes later, hey, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing in front of your eyes. You're going to look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, under-eye bags in minutes. It is the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. So go to triplexiderm.com, enter Voices for 50% off, by the way, plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, you enter Voices at triplexiderm.com, get 50% off plus an extra 10 bucks off. So this offer is also available 
by calling 1-800-685-1292 and you mention code VOICES. Plexiderm backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee. So get my special discount. Enter VOICES at triplexiderm.com. All right, well, that's it. I mean, that's the pod's honest truth. Many thanks, obviously, to CBN for that interview with Charlie. So check back here. More great interviews and analysis uh, with top newsmakers. You can find the pod's honest truth on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out Just the News. And that website is justthenews.com. We're launching in February. It's going to be big. There's going to be a party. I don't know if there's going to be a party. I hope there's a party because that means free food. All right. That's it for now. I'm David Brody. You've been listening to the Pods Honest Truth. Have you ever wondered how to say good morning in Italian? Or what is goodbye in French? You can ask Alexa. Just say, what is happy birthday in German? Or how do you say hello in Japanese? Do you want to know how to say I love you in Spanish? Ask Alexa and start learning a new language today.